It's the Airhead 247 Podcast. The Airhead 247 Podcast, powered by Wedgetail Ignition Systems, state of the art ignition for your 247 Airhead. Proudly made in Australia by motorcyclists who love their BMWs. By the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America, who invite you to ride inspired. And Boxer2Valve.com, the premium supplier for all your airhead replacement parts. Now, let's get this thing fired up. A fateful day in Germany back in 1980 set William Plam on his path in the world of BMW airhead motorcycles. Many of you listening are familiar with William's history as a BMW motorcycle dealer in California in the mid-80s, then going on to establish his own shop and parts supply business with Boxer to Valve. Others like me were introduced to William via YouTube and his Airhead video repair series. Either way, William's history, passion, and love of the classic Airhead continues as strong as ever today. And as Airhead fans and owners, we're all better off for it. It's William Plam on the Airhead 247 podcast. So uh, first thing I want to say is, and if I sound a little patronizing or buttering you up here a little bit, I've just been really impressed uh, with what you guys have done over the years here with Boxer 2 Valve, your video series, uh, working with your family, and everything you've done, pairing with Cyben Rock. Uh, kudos to you on the outset. Let me just say that and just absorb well, that. thank you so much. It's very kind of you to yeah, say. Indeed, indeed. And well, we I had wanna, a lot of fun with it all. I bet. Uh, we continue to do so. So I want to go off script a bit, but I'm not throwing you too much of a curveball. I want to talk about a bike I just... There. Yeah, I just, I just bought a 78 RS. Uh, it's the gold one. Uh, less, oh, yeah. yeah, less than 10,000 miles on this thing. Verified owner history. Uh, the paint on it is just gorgeous. I mean, you know that particular paint scheme uh, was a one-year yeah, only. Uh, I, do, I do know it. Yeah, and <clears throat> so I want to make a few observations I've had on that bike and get you to comment on it. It seems like that the Slash 7 series, and in particular this 78 model, there were kind of a lot of firsts or one, uh, If I, I don't want to say one-year only, but, you know, that were unique. To this model series. So a couple of the things I've noticed on here, of course, there's the rear disc brake. Uh, I noticed this has the, the turn signal buzzer, which oddly enough is still operational on this bike. Um, wow. Yeah. And, you know, I took took the uh, heads off last night and noticed it had uh, circlip wrist pins. Uh, the wheel right. bearings on the snow uh, snowflake wheels are a little bit different than on the spoke model. So, you know, if you can talk a little bit about how that bike uh, evolved the series a little bit and what changes kind of survived and what didn't. Okay. So, yeah, so there, there was a kind of a big transitional year from 78 to 79. And um, the, uh, trying to think what, what exactly those things were. But yeah, like you mentioned, the rear, the, the, uh, the rear disc brake was was added on there, and they made a change to the um, ignition. It was kind of a transitional year where they went to what people call the bean can, I think, 
And that was like the canister that had the points inside of it uh, rather than the older uh, sort of exposed um, point system. Uh, it was a big improvement, I think. It, 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 they stayed in adjustment longer and were easier to adjust and uh, uh, set. The points were, were better. They were really a set of points from the automotive uh, sector, much, much higher quality system. Um, they still had the dual row uh, timing chain those first years. Later on in 81, they went to the single row timing chain. Still had the, the, the heavy flywheel and the older style clutch, so that hadn't uh, transformed yet. But the other thing that they started to change was the air intake. The uh, air filter went to the flat uh, uh, air filter to the round one. And those first years, the, uh, uh, the air intake, uh, the top part of the air filter housing was made of cast aluminum. Later, it went to plastic. So those were some of the things that happened there. Yeah, you know, I'm still trying to decide if the disc brake is an upgrade or if it's just overly complicated. Um, you know, it's probably a, a, a bit of an upgrade. One, one way that it is definitely an upgrade is that with the drum, if the, when the drum wears, when you get a higher, higher mileage bike, you know, it's the wheel that's the drum. So, you know... If the bike's not ridden properly or people use a little bit too much rear brake, you can, like, ruin the wheel. It's, it holds true with all the drum brake bikes. Yeah, you'll get kind of an ovaling uh, there. Yeah, or you can, it can just expand out to where it's uh, beyond uh, tolerance. And so the nice thing about the disc is that it's a fully external replaceable part. Yeah, the other thing I noticed on this was on the final drive, uh, I guess it was still uh, a to some degree, but part of the casting was still a drum brake final drive. I saw a hole for the uh, drum brake cam arm, I guess, if I'm using yeah, the exactly. terminology correct, but then they just plugged it with a plastic hole or with a plastic that's right. cap. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that, that's pretty, pretty classic BMW to sort of uh, recycle parts in a way. Um, they're... they're <laughs> They're frugal in many ways, so they, if if it works with just a mo minor modification, just run it, you know. And yeah, then, I mean, I I looked at it, I saw that plastic cap, I didn't know what it was. I thought, now wait a minute, is this like a fill window, or you know, what exactly am I looking at? You know, it was a little peculiar. Yeah. But but anyway, yeah, like I said, it's uh it's a neat bike. Uh, you know, getting to dig into it and seeing some of the changes and. You know what works and what didn't, uh, and what lasted over the the later model year runs is is pretty interesting. Um, all right, so let's go on to a few of the questions I uh, sent you here uh, to talk about. Um, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd like to hear you tell the story a little bit. Uh, your first Airhead, I think, was the R eighty GS, uh, and you were sort of introduced to the Airhead series when you were in Germany and somebody pulled up on a Slash 5 and that lit a spark that's been burning ever since. Is that correct? Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's a lot better than I would have been able to say. It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really my first introduction to BMW. I, I, I grew up in California and just like a lot of kids that are, were around, you know, we, we had little dirt bikes. I mean, my first one was, it had a lawnmower engine, that whole thing. And, um, got, got into Hondas. And by the time I was in high school, I was riding a Yamaha 125 to back and forth to school and stuff like that. But I got actually, uh, sort of 
more into cars. Um, I got a really good job working at a machine shop and doing a, doing a work experience program in my junior and senior year and actually, you know, had was earning a little bit of money. So I had a real basic car, got more into cars and wound up um, going into, wanted to be a mechanic, uh, really enjoyed working in the machine shop and learned so many things. And so I did an apprenticeship with Mercedes-Benz when when I was like 18 and 19 years old. And then um, in, in the early 80s, I had the opportunity to go do a training session in Germany at the factory at Mercedes-Benz. And one of my buddies had, who I got to know there at the school, like you said, he showed up in, on his Slash 5, and it wasn't any normal Slash 5. He had done some pretty wild stuff to it. He had um, put uh, 900cc cylinders on it, and then because of the way that the German um, uh, inspection goes, if you increase the power and the displacement, then by their standards, it, the drum brake wasn't sufficient anymore, so he had... So he wanted him to put a disc on there, but he didn't want a disc. So he actually was able to uh, get the front um, four-shoe um, drum brake out of a Moto Guzzi. Yeah, I was just going to say, you started to describe that, and I thought, was it from an Eldorado? It might have been. Yeah. But, th- but, but in order to do that, he had to register himself as a manufacturer because it was a major modification. Anyway, it's very complicated over there. But so wow. this guy was obviously into tinkering with BMW motorcycles. And so, and he, was, he lived in Cologne, and we would then, on the weekends, go up to, to Cologne. It's just it was like, it's like um, a few hours drive, but we would just spend the weekends up there. And we'd just be in his little workshop. His buddy had a place, had a, a tire repair shop, and there was a little motorcycle shop and we just worked on on motorcycles like all the time until like we couldn't even see straight anymore and i learned a lot of really really great tips from him and um and that's when one of the guys there he had just bought a brand new r80g slash s because he always had to have the latest bike one of those kind of folks and it wasn't really his cup of tea but i thought it was awesome you know having ridden dirt bikes since i was a kid and all that sort of thing so um, he sold it to me. Made me a really, really good deal. I think I paid about uh, thirty-five hundred marks. It was a lot of money at the time. Yeah, the bike was was um, was basically like um, as new. It was less than a year old when I got it. Was it the white one? Yes, it was. Okay. Yep. So I can pretty much uh, date stamp that. I guess that was probably around eighty-one or eighty-two. Yeah, it was eighty-one. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Indeed. And you still have that bike, I think, right? It's been restored and no. it's at the shop, or no? Unfortunately, I don't have that. I sold that probably around 94, but I did bring it back to California. Um, I brought it back on a, on a, with me on the, on the plane, so to speak, uh, when, I came, when I came home and rode it around here, um, all, all you know, the States, all over the place, and the, I didn't know anyone else who had one at the time. I mean, there were, I'm sure there were, were some out there, but they were few and far between. So I was out there exploring places and adventure riding before that was even something that people did. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, I mean, we all have uh, an occasional bike that we regret selling. Uh, I have a, yeah. just a couple. I mean, that looking back on it now, do you wish you would have held on to that thing? Oh heck yeah! I wish I would have <laughs> held on to it. Yeah, that that that, that would have been that would have been good. There's a few others that I wish I'd have kept too, but you know, 
that's the way life is. Yeah, uh, hey, I know. I mean, look, for me, if I keep a bike more than three or four years, that's good. Uh, at least that's been my history. But nowadays, uh, I'm tending to buy ones that I see as long-term uh, keepers. So um, I, I, I know the feeling there. Let's talk a little bit about, oh, before we move on, uh, I want to kind of get a feel for, you know, you said you were uh, in California in the 70s and early 80s. Um, yeah. If you can, just, I was born in 1970. So I you know, I'm nostalgic for that period of time, having grown up as a kid in the 70s and stuff like that. But, you know, obviously you were a young adult then. Sort of put in the, if you can, just sort of the time frame and what motorcycling was like back then compared to today, if there's really any comparison or things you can comment on that. Yeah. Okay. So um, let me just think. You know, it was it was it was totally different in many ways than now because, especially when you're thinking about older bikes like the Airheads, they were contemporary at the time. They weren't classical bikes. You know, we didn't really think that, that, that they didn't have that sort of like I don't know cool factor hadn't really evolved yet. You know, it was, that was what that was what there was. You know, and that that was kind of interesting. And it was same same with with cars too, and everything about living in that period was that that the stuff now that we just like are just unobtainable were like on every street corner that was one of the things that was pretty cool about it yeah and um and so there wasn't traffic like there is today not even close um at least out in california they didn't the cops didn't use radar and uh, most of the roads didn't have uh, center barriers or even double yellow lines so we we kind of were able to ride like absolute nutcases you know <laughs> we and 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 we'd get away with it we just always had to hope that we didn't need to stop real quickly you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah right yeah with the ate brakes and and whatnot yeah exactly yeah that's but, you know you learned to, you learned to ride around it and the bike would would get into this this you know wobble and through the corners and it was just like you just kind of like well that's what it does i guess you just you just keep going just throttle out you know and so that was kind of the, the big difference because um yeah that was just that was that was what we had to work with and we tweak on them and uh there was really nothing better than a bmw from my point of view back at the time we didn't think that we were compromising anything or we we felt that we had like the coolest bikes out there and we were we did, I think. Yeah, well, I'd agree with you. And just, you know, parenthetically, um, you know, that time in America, uh, as far as just culture and music and things was, you know, it's easy to say nowadays it was a lot better, uh, but you were sort of living through it. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, it's easy to look back and be nostalgic on it. But I think I could always make a case that, you know, the quality of things and the uh, I, I, I'm trying to think how to word this. The uh, oh, authenticness of some things back then just seemed a little bit more more real to me. Whether it was motorcycles or or things like music, I mean, just all the great stuff that came out of that era that we still uh, find relevant and useful today. Uh, I don't know that we'll see that with a lot of other eras. Yeah, we we might not. I think that that we were a lot more focused just as a as a as a people world, globally, because we didn't have all these distractions like we did today. Yeah, like today. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that's why time seems to go by so quickly because you're there's all these, 
you're getting bombarded from all different areas. But you know, back then you 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 could you had a passion, you could focus on that. That was there was nothing else going on. You know. Yeah, interesting. So let's uh, talk about uh, sort of your history, kind of as uh, a, a motorcycle dealer, and then getting the B two valve started up, Wonderleash America, all that kind of stuff. I didn't know that uh, you were actually a dealer. Uh, uh, early on, I guess is that kind of how you started in earnest in the motorcycle business. Well, the, what the, I'll, I'll try to not draw it too long, but sure. I'll tell you the, the, there's a little bit of a story okay, there. Okay, yeah. When I got when I got back from Germany, I w- went to work at a BMW car shop, very small independent BMW shop, and kind of learned all about BMW cars. You know, working on 2002s pretty much at the time, that kind of thing. Again, another cool, another cool era, era of cars. Exactly. Yeah. And so that, that we were, we were doing routine maintenance on those kind of cars and that sort of thing. And then, so, you know, how things kind of evolved. And then I ended up getting um, an offer from a, one of my former employers in the Mercedes world. He wanted to kind of expand into BMW. And so now I had a little bit of a BMW experience. So um, he, we, we started a, a kind of a spinoff of his shop, working on BMWs. I, in the meantime, you know, had acquired another motorcycle. I had now, in the meantime, a 79 RS. I had the blue and silver one. And um, I had my R80G slash S, and I was working on those. And then one thing led to another, and people kind of, people found out I could could do that, and, I, and they brought their bikes to me. There had been a BMW dealership in my area before, but they'd gone out of business a few years ago, or gave, gave up the, the BMW franchise, I should say. So there was kind of a void there. Anyway, we started this startup BMW car thing, and um, you know, in the, like any startup in the beginning, it was kind of slow. So um, I talk, asked my boss, "Hey, uh, what about if I work on a couple of bikes on the side until we get this thing up off the ground?" And he's all, "Yeah, whatever can bring a few bucks in the door, I'm down." So, it, it, so the word got out, and pretty soon there's like you know two cars in the workshop and like 30 motorcycles. <laughs> And um, I got I got some parts from the dealer in San Francisco and had you know all the basic parts in stock and it just started to turn into more of a bike shop to where the my my Mercedes Benz of uh, boss he was pretty was getting a lot of c- comments from the customers just turning into a biker hangout <laughs> on here you know but but it was working out really well and I was really having fun with it and so I just got this thought and I called up BMW. North America and said, Hey, you know, what's, what's it all about to become a dealer? And the, the requirements weren't that, that big of a deal back then. This is 1985. Yeah. Let and, me jump in real quick and just say, yeah. what a concept. I think I'll call BMW <laughs> and see what, if I can be a dealer. I mean, can you imagine trying to do that today? But anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah, I know. Actually, I, 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 it, I was thinking more at the, my thought initially was being like an authorized service center. So yeah. I, my biggest thing was so I could get parts directly from BMW. You know, that was kind of where I was going with it. Yeah, so the rep shows up one day, made, we made an appointment, he comes by and he rolls up on a K100, a brand new one. And um, so um, anyway, we took him we talked a little bit. He took him back to the hotel. He actually he said, here, you take this thing. Um, he gave me the keys, you know, so huh. I took, I took off on that thing and I, I rode up to San Francisco and visited from a friend and we cruised all night around the streets of San Francisco on this K100. It was pretty neat. Cool. 
and so one thing one thing led to another, and yes, they 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 approved me, and it it, it didn't take much. Um, my my dad did help me. I mean, I was a young man, but I was able to pay that back pretty quickly, entirely. And um, we started in in basically a converted warehouse. It was just like a three stall warehouse, and I used two of the three and rented out the third one. And to someone who needed a place for st- to store all their old cars and stuff like that, and it was like the most basic thing you can ever imagine. But we did cars too, so I had a I, I had a car lift in there, and just to kind of make ends meet, I worked on cars and worked on motorcycles and pretty much wore all the hats. I'd be like you know doing changing the brakes on a on a 2002, and somebody would roll up on their bike, and I'd wash my hands and go in the showroom and sell the guy an oil filter. You know, it was like that. Yeah. It was pretty pretty cool. So we started with pretty humble beginnings with all that thing. So I have to ask, what was the name of the shop? Yeah, so the first, uh, the first thing, we I wanted to be BMW of Santa Cruz at the time, but the car dealer, they knew that I was going to work on cars, so they, they put a stop to that. So this whole thing that kind of was a... Uh, a little bit of a bottleneck in getting the, the whole thing rolling. So I had to quickly change the name and we call it, we were Plam. That's my last name, P-L-A-M. It was Plam BMW. Okay. And, and then, um, and then as time went on about seven years later, I moved into a second location, which I'll get into in a second, I guess. And then we changed it to BMW of Santa Cruz. And because the car dealership did, hadn't, didn't exist anymore. <laughs> so. All right. That. So uh, I'm, Again, trying to timestamp this. I'm guessing this was uh, like '85 or something like that. So the K '85, yeah, yeah. So the K bikes, as you mentioned, had really just come out. It was a new thing. Um, totally. Yeah, and I first became a regular customer with Boxer Two Valve a few years ago when refreshing an R90s. William and Edward Plam's video repair series. Well, that was a go-to reference. It made that job and repair session much easier and really an enjoyable process. Boxer 2 Valve carries only the highest quality parts, mainly manufactured by OEM suppliers. So the fit is perfect and the repair, well, it's done just one time. Fitment and applications for all parts are clearly listed. To quickly find what you need, you simply enter your year and model of your bike and you'll see only the parts that fit. Shipping, that's always fast, with most orders going out that day at 2 p.m., and shipping is available to all parts of the globe. Boxer 2 Valve carries a wide variety of premium special tools and maintenance items, many of those unique to their catalog. William and Edward and the team at Boxer 2 Valve are Airhead fans, and as they say, with a passion for simpler times and uncomplicated machines. Check them out for all your parts needs, boxer2valve.com. That's the number two, boxer2valve.com. So tell me about working with BMW NA uh, during that initial startup and then sort of how that relationship evolved at all or how it changed over the years and eventually sort of exiting out of that. Yeah, well, I mean... Uh, it went through a lot of changes. Uh, generally speaking, I, I really thought BMW was a good company to work for. They, they or work with, I should say. And they, um, you know, they, they, they 
have had a lot of changes in personnel over the years. That's one of the things that's kind of a thing when you when you're in a, a dealer for so many years is you stay constant or you know you go through your growth and evolve in many ways, but they're constantly changing. Now this is the see new the new CEO and this is the new rep and all that. So it 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 all and every time a new new regime comes in, they have different take on how they want to do things. So that always changes. But generally speaking, I, I I think I got along well with everybody, and I didn't have too much trouble with um, some of the demands that they made. They a lot of guys did, but I sort of really embraced the whole corporate ID look and concept. I thought that was was a good direction, and I even before that was a um, requirement in any way i kind of co- always copied the look of the, where i was from uh, looking at the, the way the dealerships were in germany and um so i i thought that was okay i don't know if that answers really your question no it does and let me ask a follow-up there i have to imagine um at there was an occasion where, you know, you might get a directive or, a, you know, back then, you know, I guess it was correspondence by mail, uh, where there was some sort of re- requirement or something. I mean, I'm imagining, you know, coming into your shop, I'm just trying to get a visual picture here, paint one in my head, you know, you open up the doors and there's like the classic uh, floor mat, you know, um, that says, you know, BMW motorcycles, worth the obsession. You know, that's the floor mat on right. the floor there when you come in, and you have to have that there. Uh, but I'm wondering if there were a couple, if, if you can recall or willing to say, a couple head scratchers where you'd get something from them and just be like, oh, Lord, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, there was, there, there was one of those. The most notable of that was that I had a really cool vintage BMW sign, around, around one, and hanging up in the showroom. And I, I mean, it was lit. It was it was just cool. I was like, I still have it today, and I was so happy to to own such a neat piece, you know. And the rep came in, and he looked at that, and he said, "That sign's got to go." And I said, "You what? Why is that?" He says, "He said that's not part of our corporate ID anymore. That you need it needs to be the raised type of BMW logo. Any other BMW is is prohibited." I said, "Dude, you got to be kidding me. That's that's like a." Check that thing out. Look how cool it is. Like, <laughs> and then he says, "No, it's got to go." So I, so I, so right, right then and there, I said, "Okay, just a minute, please." And I went back and I got one of my guys out of the out of the workshop. I said, "Hey, come up, bring a ladder and some tools, and take that sign down." Done and, and done. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what that's what I did. And I took it home and hung it in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Well, I'm sure there's some other ones, but that's a good little anecdote yeah. there. So. All right, uh, let's fast forward a bit in the timeline here. So uh, you had the dealer uh, at some point. Uh, I mean, maybe you can just maybe talk about uh, how you sort of exited that and then transitioned into uh, where you are today, starting uh, with having your shop still in California and then moving on. I mean, I know there's a lot there, but maybe just a few there's of the highlights. Yeah. Okay, so over over the course of the years, we 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 had three locations as a dealer. I had that converted garage thing or warehouse, and then moved into a smaller place in around '93, much smaller. But we we stopped working on cars, and we and we were like visible from the freeway, and got into that place 
actually they they, they didn't even really want to rent it to me, but because they, they were going to build on it, they said. So I ended up negotiating a thing where I had like a six month uh, termination clause, and um, and and it turned out that I was there for seven years. So that worked out pretty slow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we ended up building a building a, a place. Um, and it was BMW Santa Cruz County because we moved out of the city of Santa Cruz into a town called Watsonville. And we had a beautiful uh, shop there. I, we built it. We designed it. And it was a great layout. And we, I thought we were, we were really good, a good um, dealer. We did the best we could. I had some really awesome people, like some of the best uh, folks would come to us for service from from uh, in some cases, pass other dealers to get to us for service. So we we had, I think, a pretty decent reputation. We sure tried to, at least. And um, and then we also had a, a Yamaha and Triumph um, during that sort of period as well. And then anyway, um, in 2000, I went. So this we moved to that third building around '99. Okay. Just to kind of put it into perspective. And in 2000, I I we just got in the, you know, just really stopped, uh, you know, we're done unpacking almost. And I went to Germany to the um, Intermont. And at the time it was in in Munich. And um, so anyway, at the Intermont in Munich, I was able to get in there a day early and, and Wunderlich had a big display and a bunch of bikes there and stuff and started talking with them. And we, uh, set up an appointment and had a, had a long chat and, um, and it, I do speak German. So that helped me, um, you know, communicate with them. Indeed. Yeah. And so that was, that we hit it off pretty well. And, uh, long story short, they, they, they had to, they had other people who wanted to do that as well, but they decided on, on that they wanted to work with me and, uh, let me know about that a week or so later. And then, um, yeah, that was that. And then we imported a first shipment and it was very basic back then. I mean, most of the stuff, um, all the instructions were in German and, um, and, and a lot of stuff was just in like, like sandwich bags, you know, it was pretty, pretty basic back then, but that, that was the start. And we, we, uh, increased our, improved on the packaging and, and, and helped kind of, you know, modernize all that and get that up to speed. And yeah, so we, I did that in tandem. We had the BMW, we had, um, uh, we were importing the Woodlish parts and, and, and had the dealership at the same time. And it turned out to be quite a lot of work in, in many ways to do all, all these things at, at once. And over those years, um, Wunderlich had really expanded They'd moved into a new facility, hired a bunch of new people. They basically tripled their, the, the amount of people that worked there. And I could sort of see the trajectory of where they were going. And, the, um, and being able to keep pace with them was not probably um, in the cards, having a dealership. So I did sell the dealership. And then, um, unfortunately, as many people know, um, that was a few years later that went out of business. Um, the, the new owner, I, I thought that it would work out well, but it, um, yeah, I guess it lost the vibe somehow. And I don't know, I don't really want to comment more on that, but that's what happened. They, it doesn't exist anymore. Fair enough. 
and we um, kept going. In we, I when 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 that happened, I moved Wunderlich into a warehouse area just about a mile away from the dealership. So I uh, was hoping for collaboration, and with that whole thing. But anyway, so that's where we were for um, for for quite a number of, of years. Actually, that was in 2012, I think it was, and. Um, and so, and then it was um, 2018 that we moved to North Carolina. So, clarify this for me now. Wonderleash, uh, they, if I'm not mistaken here, indeed, please correct me. My sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, my sort of take on that is they are more a supplier for later model bikes. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, it really, um, so Wunderlich makes parts and accessories really starting with the R1100 right. series. Yeah. And then and then to the to the present, right? So so, so you were in in a sense then uh you know you still had a foot in the airhead game I would imagine uh you know working on customer bikes and you know whatever doing what you were doing uh but then also you've got a a big hand and a big investment uh, in the later model series. Yes. So, so, so you hit it right on the head with the Winterleash being, um, you know, for the newer bikes. And that was really our focus for, uh, the first few years. Um, but then after breaking away from the dealership and, uh, just doing the Winterleash thing, I, I always had this, this, this passion for the, the, the older air-cooled twins, and um, and so I wanted to do that uh, as well. And so, what wouldn't have been proper to to sell the uh, the parts for the boxers, uh, the older boxers, um, under the name Wunderlich, because we were the early importer for for Wunderlich, and that wasn't part of their program. Right. You know I mean, so that necessitated really starting another company. Um, underneath the whole corporate umbrella that I have. And um, we started that back in 2000, in, in 2012, because I wanted to offer parts of the airheads. And um, so originally we called it bmw2valve.com, and we had that domain. But then after it started to go, I thought, um, I was talking to one of my buddies about it, he's an attorney, he said, you know, you might think about changing the name yeah, yeah. BMW out of there. Because that's going to come back and bite you in the butt. Yep. So luckily, I was able to get Boxer Two Valve, and so we changed it. So. And so, is that where Cyber uh, Rock comes in then? Yeah. So that was so that was the thing too. Then so it, was in, it involved another trip to Germany, um, in, kind of around the time of the Intermont again and uh, Vetterama. And so my uh, I went over and I spoke to a lot of people, and I met Jochen Siebenrock and, uh, and some other key uh, suppliers who were into airheads and established um, a rapport with these guys and became basically, you know, their customers. And, been, and so I get, we get our parts from various different sources, and in, in some cases where the, there are other guys buying parts from these folks like Siebenrock, we're not the only one. We're not the exclusive by any means. Right. 
but there's a there's a few guys I get stuff from. I think we're the, probably their only U.S. customer. So we have some pretty unique items in some cases. Yeah, um, and let me comment on that. I I I, I fully agree with you there. I, you know, having gone, uh, you know, I bought a lot of parts from you over the years, and you know, like a lot of guys, I'm looking at different sources. Where do I get this? Where do I get that? What's the best price versus you know quality point and all that kind of stuff? And I I. Do notice you guys do a good job of sort of curating and and sort of making sure that what you're offering is is pretty much the top of the line. We we do the we do the best we can. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I do. Um, I'm I'm the one. Who, that's what I basically do is order parts and always look for cool new stuff. I mean, is it fair to say there are some things you don't carry just because you can't find a quality part to sell rather than absolutely yeah absolutely yeah yeah we and if something doesn't work out right we'll just take it out of our program simply yeah well and i gotta say uh too you know siebenrock i I mispronounce that from on from time to time but uh boy they have done a really good job uh sort of reintroducing a lot of parts uh, as new that are no longer available from BMW, whether it's the seats uh, or, you know, certain other things. I've just really been impressed uh, with what they've done over the years. And then just recently, they've got a used parts stash. And I was wondering when they were going to do that, uh, seeing some pictures of their uh, operation there. I thought, boy, they have just got a gold mine of stuff. So I've, I'm already you know, five or six orders in deep of, of digging from their uh, used parts stash, too. So uh, kudos to them. Yeah, definitely. No, they have done a great job. And, and when they do reproduce a part, I can't think of a, one instance where it's not an improvement over the original. Yeah, I mean, you see stuff, you know, like uh, they redid the Krauser bags. And one of the neat things I think they did was, I guess they made a change to the right side saddlebag so you could open the seat a little bit easier. You know, which, uh, yeah. you know, that's, hey, that's a big improvement right there. Um, exactly. So uh, I want to talk about maybe the current state of affairs here. And let me just sort of preface this by saying uh, I know uh, you probably reflect on this time to time, but, um, you know, to borrow another line from a song, uh, Sly Stone, it, it seems to be kind of a family affair there. Uh, and gosh, you know, how fortunate are you to have your son there and, you know, working with, uh, I guess, you know, your wife and everybody's really kind of involved in the business. Yeah, indeed. I'm very, very happy about that. And it's very fortunate as well. Yeah. Edward's really, um, awesome guy where he's very good with, with working on the bikes and, and my wife and I sit in a very small office together and, um, actually still get along <laughs> and no, it's like better than that. But yeah. And then the other, th- the other thing that I want to tell you is that my other son, my youngest son, his name is Hans. Uh-huh. He, he's just finished up his, um, he went to Germany to, um, to go to, to university to become an engineer. And he, um, did his, what's called a practicum. It's kind of like a, um, a boy, an apprenticeship in a way or a, a, um, at the end of the, at the end of the education, you go work for a company, um, to get work experience there. And he did that at Wunderlich and, um, he's just finishing up his thesis right now. 
and he'll be, get his diploma as an engineer, and then he's still working at Wunderlich in the product development department. Wow. So he, he's getting sort of um, prepared, I think, for the future um, here, but he's, it's really nice having him in, 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 in at Wunderlich. Um, it's been really an awesome thing. So, yeah, got, there's even that one other element of family. Wow. I, I, and I, I, all the people who work for us are like family too. I mean, we, sure. have, we, we have such a, a wonderful crew um, and every, not one of them has been with us less than two years at this point. And so we, we, we have a, a really kind of a family feel to the whole, the whole uh, setup. Wow. That's really neat. Uh, what's your other son's name again? Hans. Okay. So I have to imagine uh, you're, you're a pretty proud, pretty proud papa. Yeah, I am. I, I I am a pretty proud papa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's good to know. And uh, interest, I'll just one more thing about Hans, real quick. Yeah, yeah. He actually play, he uh, he is playing uh, American football over there in the German football league, and he was he played for three years for Dresden, and now he's playing for Col- uh, Cologne Crocodiles. Wow, interesting, yeah. interesting. <laughs> so. Good for you, man. I- I'm glad to hear that. That's really cool. We've teamed up with the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America to offer a special membership deal for our listeners. Now, before you think, wait a second, Darren, how much is this going to cost? Let's just stop right here and say it's free. This is a complimentary one-year digital membership for Airhead 247 podcast listeners. The MOA has a goal of adding 200 new members over the next several months. That's a lot. But I think they can reach that goal with our help. By supporting the MOA with this offer, you're also supporting this program. And let's say this again, it is free of charge. Visit 247.bmwmoa.org and complete the online form using the activation code AIRHEAD247. That's easy to remember. You'll receive your free one-year digital membership, and that will give our program credit for referring you. Or go to the description section of this podcast. We've got a direct link right there. Membership in the MOA offers discounts at hotels, a monthly magazine, great deals on roadside assistant programs, plus a fantastic network of BMW owners that share your passion. All this, plus you're supporting our efforts here with the podcast, bringing you unique insight into the world of the 247 Airhead. That website, once again, for your free one-year digital membership, 247.bmwmoa.org. Use the code AIRHEAD247. Thank you very much for your support. Um, so let's, uh, I want to just, we don't need to go into the whole uh, rigmarole and detail here, but I think I know why you moved to North Carolina. Tell me if I'm wrong here. Um, <clears throat> probably in a nutshell, a lot easier to do business on multiple levels. Is that a bad mischaracterization? Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a, a, a um, but that really does sum it up. We, um, I, I really wanted to expand, you know, since the time we moved into that little warehouse, we were just. I mean, it was so packed. I wanted to hire another person, but there wasn't a, a, a physical space to put a desk for someone else to work there. It was like that. So we had to move. 
And looking around at places to that we could theoretically move to in the area, it was just too expensive. It was just it was just wasn't in the cards. Yeah. So so we could have moved to Central Valley, or we could have moved to you know Nevada, or I don't know what. But I thought you know if we're going to move, it's the same effort. Let's get on the East Coast so that we can have a much easier time receiving products in from Europe via sea rather than air freight that we were kind of hooked on or, or having to come through the Panama Canal and everything. And so we decided East Coast was going to be it, and then it was a matter of just figuring out a good spot. And this area worked out really well. It's a, it's beautiful for motorcycling. It's also um, – uh, up in the mountains, we're up in the in the western in the in the Appalachian Mountains in Western North Carolina. So we're at about almost 2,000 feet, and so it's it never gets too terribly hot here. We don't have any really brutal winters. It's just a nice place. And just down the road is the BMW car factory. Oh yeah, 40 miles away. Yeah, that's right. And so so there's this whole infrastructure that exists, hmm. moving parts back and forth between Europe and uh, and 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 North and South in this case South Carolina. But South Carolina, to, from where I live, uh, I ride my bicycle there. It's not that close. So, wow. You know, well, yeah. that's interesting. You know, I never really thought about the whole intermodal shipping aspect uh, of that. But, uh, boy, you're 100% right now that you put it in, in context there, being on the East Coast. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so, you know, and I, we don't even need to get into politics or anything like that. Those are enough reasons right there to move. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And in that line, if you could comment just a little bit about uh, the change in, without getting into politics necessarily, but uh, you're in a different part of the country. Uh, the people there are a little bit different. The lifestyle, the pace of things can be a little bit different. The culture's obviously a little bit different. Uh, just tell me about that transition from California to South Carolina. Yeah, for me it was like a breath of fresh air. I bet I like the lo- I like the slower pace. Um, you know, uh, you you I I, I you say, air, irritate me to be tailgated all the time, just driving around town. <laughs> you know, and um and and that 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 feeling's gone here. It's it's pretty pretty low key. It's nice. The folks are really nice. People greet each other. Um, yeah, I, I like it. I like the pace. I like I like everything about it. Um, I only regret I didn't do it a few years earlier. Uh, yeah, I bet. I bet. And how long have you been there now? Just turned three years. Just about three years. We came. We arrived here the day after Thanksgiving in 2018. So I think it's safe to say it, it feels like home now? Absolutely. Yeah. This is home to me. Yeah, Good. It's nice. I want to talk about the YouTube video series. Um, yeah. So let me just say, again, uh I have watched this uh, Slash 6 series more than I care to admit to. Um, not only to, you know, help uh, with when I, you know, I bought an R90S a couple years ago. And it was a nice original paint, relatively low mile bike. Uh, but it hadn't been ridden a lot. So basically it needed a full mechanical uh, recommissioning. And, <clears throat> you know... I'm not the only one to probably have this experience, but you were sort of living on my computer in the workshop along with me <laughs> when I went through that bike. And it was just very comforting uh, to be able to go back and watch the procedures again, uh, feel comfortable about, you know, getting into those uh, areas that I had not been in before. And then, of course, I think you realize this, that 
for a lot of guys, that turns into, well, gosh, I've spent 10 hours watching this guy here do this. I'm going to go ahead and order some parts from him. And I noticed that in the comments section a lot of time uh, when I'm ordering something, you'll see a customer review and folks are always saying, hey, you know, I came here after watching the series on this. It was really helpful. So talk about how, uh, in your perspective, that's helped sort of, uh, you know, increase business for you. Uh, and at the same time, uh, when are we going to get a new series? <laughs> okay, I can do that. Yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you, you know, that was really never the intention. It really? Wasn't, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a marketing thing at all, ever. Um, it, it, it was just sort of uh, an idea that we came up with. I, a guy who joined our team, this is back in California, yeah. and um, he had he came to work for us really to do mainly work on the, our websites. But in his previous career, he was a wedding photographer. So he had a lot of experience with video and editing, and and he had all the cameras and the lights and all that stuff. And so it was really his idea, and because we were going to, we found that old R ninety slash six, and we wanted to, you know, kind of fix it up and, or go through it. And he, we, we just kind of were saying, "Hey, let's." We, we, I could make a video. I'm like, "You could do that." I'm like, "Yeah, I totally could." So we, that's how it kind of all started out, you know. So the first episode's kind of a little bit theatrics, you know. I mean, I know, but then we kind <laughs> of it sort of it sort of went into like after the first couple, three episodes, we had sort of like, Hey, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, we had, we sort of had a more of a vision. It kind of, it kind of came later. It was, okay. it, it kind of came, it kind of evolved it, it really spontaneously in a way. And then, uh, then there was a lot, there were a lot of uh, folks who uh, were uh, happy with it and expressed that to us. And so that was then the motivation because um, it's, it's 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 very very gratifying when like I hear like what you said that it helped you in your in your life that that's I mean I don't want to seem corny but it's like really worth more than money you, when you when you when you feel like you did something that to help other people and so that's really what moved us on there and sure you know I mean I'm really grateful a lot of folks chose to buy the parts from us and yeah we have seen a, a growth as a result of it. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine so. Yeah, but it's really it's really great, and I I I really like the whole the whole two valve community, and it's just it's just it's a lot a lot of fun because it's it's there's it's just such a, a very special type of motorcycle, not like the new ones, you know, where you really can fix them, and and there's so much that somebody could do themselves if they just know how. And that's why we've also been kind of uh, adding to having tools manufactured too. You know, mm -hmm. some of the some in some of the videos, I kind of like talk about, hey, this is the way the tool looks or whatever. But now, in some cases, we're actually having the tools manufactured here locally so that um, people can can actually do this job. We try to keep those affordable as possible. Yeah, I mean that's really helpful because you do mention, hey, you know, we've got this tool available. Uh, but then there are some guys who are watch might be watching this who may have the ability to go out and you know they've got a lathe or you know some basic machine shop tools right. to go out and do it themselves. So you you know offer that exactly. al alternative, which is really nice. And you know your whole presentation and style. Uh, I don't even want to say it's a style. I mean it's just you in front of a camera, you know, talking and doing what you do normally. Uh, but it's. It's it's relaxing to watch. 
Um, you know, I've actually gone back and watched just a few of the videos just, you know, out of enjoyment. Um, you know, your whole demeanor and way you present everything is, is really enjoyable. Um, and so, I mean, just a great job on all those. I saw the, uh, it was a really neat job you did with the uh, uh, R, uh, what do I want to say? The RS, the 81, yeah, or was, that black bike. And then. Yeah, that was an 80, that was a, uh, started out as a 85 R80RT. Yeah, I mean, I got it. That was a fun project. Yeah, it was great. I mean, you had a real nice vision and and execution on that. Uh, it just came out really clean, and it you know really looked like a model that uh, should have happened. <laughs> and so that's and you asked about our next uh, our next series. Yes, actually, we're taking we're going to take that whole concept one step further. Okay, <laughs> it's we're just getting started on it right now, um, and it's a R nineteen ninety three R one hundred R. So that's got the parallel rear suspension. And so first thing we're, go- we're doing with that is we're going to do some, some service videos using that bike as an example. Just kind of w- like what to look for when buying a used bike. We're yep. working on that right now. And, um, and what, well, you got the new bike, now what kind of thing. You know, without going into taking gearboxes apart or anything like that, just like how, how do I get this thing, you know, roadworthy. If we already did steering head bearings or something like that, we don't need to really go over that again. Yeah. But once once we've got, we're going to show some other some of the components that are different on on the paralever models. Uh, we'll go ahead and 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 do video on how to re- recondition those things. But then I'm going to build a really neat bike. What I think is going to be a neat bike and there'll be a new series. And it's going to be basically like I said, it's an R100. R, so it's got the paralever, but we're going to put an RS fairing on it. Um, I'm going to use the seat and tail section and tank from an R65 LS. Oh, neat. Really, really slick. And I'm going to use K1100 uh, forks and brakes and wheels and um, a few other bits and pieces. And then some modern electronics, um, signals, lights, things like that. Kind of make like a, like a really nice two valve twin that's mechanically really, really together, but using components from different BMWs, both K and R models, we're going to basically build what my vision of kind of uh, maybe the ultimate bike. Yeah. Wow. That's neat. And you know, this probably more so, or just as much as anybody that uh, parts interchangeability uh, with those bikes from model to model, uh, while there are certainly some considerations and, you know, not bolt on parts, uh, the compatibility level can be pretty high, which makes it a lot of fun to sort of sit down and figure out, gosh, you know, I can use this on here and how's this going to fit on here, uh, using BMW components. That's exactly it. You got it. That's what we're, that's what we're working on right now. Yeah, that's cool. Well, gosh, I'm going to look forward to that. And, you know, I would also humbly, uh, suggest, uh, if you're thinking about stuff in the future, you know, a lot of guys, you're talking about the Paralever series. Uh, I could really see a lot of folks getting a lot of use out of a Paralever uh, GS series. Those are such a popular bike still, um, you know, sort of recommissioning and building one of those. I think you'd get a lot of eyeballs on, on that too, but uh, I'll leave that for you to decide. Yeah. You know, we, it's, um, we, we, a lot of the components on the R are the same as the GS, so a lot, so that will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean the engine and the a lot of the frame components and all that kind of stuff are exactly we'll, so. We'll, 
probably do a GS. Um, you know, it has to do with what kind of comes down the down the road. You know, so. But we're not done yet. We want to do a lot more videos. Uh, we really enjoy it, and as time permits, um, we will uh, we'll keep cranking them out. All right, good. Well, we're going to look forward to that. All right, so I want to sort of start putting a wrap on things here, and I've got just sort of some general interest uh, questions for you. I'm wondering uh, your take on bring a trailer. Now, I know you guys have sold a couple bikes. I guess you and Edward have. Uh, Edward had yeah. that, that really cool uh, blue hot rod he built. And then yeah. uh, the bike we referred to earlier in the build series also was on Bring a Trailer. So, um, <clears throat> gosh, the prices on there for some bikes have gotten pretty high. Uh, some yeah. of them, by my account, have been a bit of a head scratcher. But I'm not going right. to fault a guy for, you know, working on a bike and making a few bucks. You know, there's nothing wrong right. with that. Um, but sort of what's your general take on how that is, if at all, uh, affecting the value, uh, and sort of the community, uh, as a whole and kind of the general hobbyists, uh, who might not have, you know, 20 grand to plop down on a, on a G slash S. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, um, it's, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword that, Bring a trailer. Um, ultimately, I'd, I'd say I don't really like it that much. Really? I mean, it's it, yeah. In in some ways, because you know, it's it's um, it's vastly increased the value of old vehicles, not just BMW motorcycles. It's kind of like we going back to what we talked about before. How the, those cars that when I was a kid, you know, that were all over the place. Those things, the, the prices have gone up so much that they're out of reach for probably many people who would really appreciate them. Yeah. You know? That's the thing, you know, it's like these bikes go for all this money and where does it wind up? You know, some guy's living room, you know, or whatever, because I mean, at that price, it's a shame to ride it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and sometimes too, you know, I, I look at the pictures in detail of the bikes that are on, on there and, and a lot of times they're really not what they claim to be. Um, and I think that's kind of a shame too. There's a lot of them just kind of fluffed up, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll probably sell another bike on Bring a Trailer because sure. that seems to be the most effective way to do it. But I think that um, it it, uh, it does make it difficult for the for the true enthusiast, and so that's why we're doing. That's one of the reasons, actually, why we I'm choosing to do this new series we have right now because what what um, pe what people need to do is probably you know the bikes are getting harder and harder to find. So you need to find kind of a diamond in the rough nowadays, you know, because a really pristine bike is going to cost like just so much money. It's crazy. So you can still find a bike that maybe is a little bit beat, but we're going to kind of go through the concept of what to look for and, and how to, how to get a bike like that and make it a nice bike that you can ride. Yeah. I, mean, I think with, by default, that's the future of what, what people can do in the next years to come. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're looking for some value, uh, in a bike and something where the buy-in price isn't too terribly high, uh, and you know, you know, at least you're going to break even or you know make a few bucks uh, on your time and and parts investment on, on that kind of stuff. You know, I'll say that you know my experience with bring a trailer, the main effect it's had on me is I've had to you know call Haggerty Insurance and re-up the agreed value on my bikes. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so, oh, yes. 
Cafe Bikes. Uh, right. So I, I know Edward is kind of in that scene. Uh, he's of that age uh, and sort, right. of, sort of in that uh, genre and style, you know, his buddies and friends. And I, to, a, to a degree, I don't think it's any different than the chopper scene to a certain degree of the 70s. I mean, it's just guys, you know, taking motorcycles and doing what they want with them and, and having fun. Uh, you're probably a little bit more old school, decidedly. Uh, so is there a dichotomy there? I mean, with see, I, I know you appreciate and love what Edward does. And he, by the way, he's not building just a standard sort of modified cafe bike by any stretch of the imagination. But as you know, I mean, there are just some real hack jobs out there that we see those on Bring a Trailer or whatever. So just yeah. in general, your sort of take on this whole cafe scene we're seeing. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of a lot of hack jobs, and the and the and the it's in some cases kind of sort of ruins the motorcycle. You'll never be able to bring it back to what it was. Yeah. You know? it took it took me really a long time to even warm up to the whole concept, um, <laughs> but because I really don't think much about cutting up a perfectly good motorcycle. You know, I mean, I kind of like. Like I said before, you know, you know, accept things the way that they are, and not not think and not necessarily uh, change change them or you know have to drastically modify them. But Edwards built some really beautiful bikes, and the and the details actually, if it's done right, are even much more intricate than the stock bike ever was. So it, it can be kind of a cool thing, and it probably is like the chopper fad of the '70s, I think. But I think though too that that going. Forward, you know the stock bikes will be more valuable. Yeah, either in original condition or restored like new condition if it's done properly. Because, like I said, once it, once the uh, once it's been cut up to some guy's vision, that might not be the other guy's vision. That's the thing. and so the biggest problem that I see with this whole thing is it, it, it the supply of bikes is just drying up. You know, it's getting harder and harder to find good, unmolested airheads, as we call them or really decent airheads in any condition, I would say. And, and even a lot of the parts, used parts, are getting expensive and almost impossible to find. Yeah, that's so true. And, yeah, I think there's – this is a comparison. I've tried to sort of put this um, – wrap my, wrap my head around this a little bit and draw an analogy, and it's not 100% correct, but – you know, if you, I'm sure you're familiar with this, is the Singer uh, Corporation or Car Corporation, what they do with 9-11s. Uh, have you seen those? Yeah, I, th I have. You I know have. what I'm talking about? So they'll take. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So there are some guys, uh, and I'd probably put Edward in this category. Uh, there's another guy on YouTube I don't know if you're familiar with. It's 46 Works, a guy called Shiro Akiyama. Uh, in Japan, who really take that aesthetic and that idea to that sort of level, where they're reimagining the airhead, uh, improving on it in specific areas, modernizing it to a certain degree, and but still being true to the motorcycle itself. Uh, and I think there's a lot of uh, artistic value and creative uh, aesthetic in that, that I can really appreciate. And so like anything, there's bad examples of those bikes. There's good examples. And there's some guys out there that I think are, are doing a good job with it. It's not my cup of tea. I'd never buy one of those personally. 
Uh, but I can appreciate the passion and love for it. And in the end, I, you know, I think it does forward the hobby to the next generation. And eventually, I think a lot of those guys will come as they get older uh, to respect, you know, all original bikes. And they'll, I think there'll be a sort of full circle uh, in the future, at least I hope. Yeah, I think, I think you're right about that. Definitely. So a couple last things here, uh, and we'll wrap it up. Uh, so for William Plam, if you were creating a Mount Rushmore uh, of airhead bikes, uh, four of them you're going to carve into a mountain, what would those four be? Uh, I would say the R75 Flash 5 and the R90S and the R80G/S and the R100GS. I'll, ex I'll accept all of those and I have to say the first 3 that you mentioned uh, are always everybody we've talked to in this series so far uh those 3 keep coming up and generally it's the fourth one where there's a little bit of uh dissent. Uh personally I'm with you on that. I'd love to have a short wheelbase um slash five uh in silver uh i really like the look and style of those and then i've got the other three that are sort of for me which is the uh the g slash s the 90s and then this the 78 rs in gold that's always been one of my favorite bikes so william will accept uh will accept your nominations there good job okay <laughs> i think that the r100 gs the reason the reason is because i think that the the it's really about the parallel rear suspension and and the the front fork and it, as as well, but mainly the parallel because that was such a that that's still being used today, right? It so is, it yeah. Was a, it was a major major uh, piece in the whole puzzle. Yeah, and you know, and, and <laughs> I got it. I got to put one little plug in though, real quick. Yes, if you want a, a silver short wheelbase R seventy five slash five? Oh no, don't tell me. Then, then you need to come to the meltdown in Hendersonville, North Carolina, on the 30th of April. This is a show that's been going on. It's a motorcycle meet that happens um, for the last 10 years or so. The club who used to do it asked us if we'd be willing to take it over, so we're kind of running this thing. We are going to be raffling off a fully restored 1971 short wheelbase R75-5 in silver with blue. Oh, good grief. Restored. All right. So you got to be present to win. Oh, Lord. Okay. All right. Well, hey, a plane ticket and a handful of raffle tickets, that's probably uh, a better chance than I have of actually getting the money to gather one and buy one. So okay. you duly noted on that. And let me just say, as an aside, you know, you mentioned on the Paralever GS series, uh, yeah. the suspension and stuff like that. You know, one thing I did that I found was a real... Uh, easy upgrade uh, for me on the G slash S was just to bolt on uh, an 88 fork and front end on the uh, 81 GS. I mean, it was an instant upgrade. Uh, of course, I had to buy a wheel uh, for it, but it popped right on there. You know, the fork yokes, except the little auxiliary gauges. And it's a it was a big improvement for me uh, on the front end, and I ride off tarmac a lot here. I'm in the Ozarks uh, in Arkansas. Yeah, it, that is a brilliant upgrade. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not poo-pooing what other guys do with, uh, you know, MX conversions and, th and things like that, but that was just a little more complicated uh, and non- uh, and a little bit more irregular in the parts category than I wanted to go. So 
uh, I, I really enjoyed that upgrade. Uh, okay, one design or mechanical feature, if you could go back in time to BMW and say, what the F were you thinking? We're going to stop this and change it right now. Huh. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, the, 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 one, the one that always kind of gets me going a little bit, and it's really a trivial thing, but always kind of bugged me, and that's the, the connection points of the exhaust system like that they introduced on the R100 GS and on the monolever models where they have this little fiber gasket sleeve where the, where the header pipe and connector come together. Yep. And um, the, the, they, they always are almost impossible to really put back together again without a lot of fiddling. And that's always been kind of a, um, like I said, that's a pretty trivial little thing, but that's, that's one that comes to mind that, that, uh, that, irritates me a little bit that, that gets in your craw i understand i had a i had a 92 pd uh for a number of years and i can vividly remember uh a few choice words too getting that uh, system back together yeah <laughs> yes uh okay the bike uh that you've yet to own uh that you'd love to have personally or i guess uh we could also parenthetically say one maybe that you'd let go that you'd like to get back what what does William Plam have his eyes on for his own personal collection, if anything? Um, I think that the one that I would like to have, and I'm kind of looking for the right way to get hold of one, unrestored, is an R25-3. Okay. Yep. That's just like, I like simple. It doesn't get much more simple. The telescopic forks, uh, it's just, I like singles. And I'm, I'm hoping to, to um, come across one of those one of these days. Now, I imagine that you're going to have a better time in Germany finding one. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, your best or worst uh, roadside breakdown and or f uh, fix and repair? Well, the best one, there's been a bunch. Yeah, I can imagine. But the best one that I think um, is not on an airhead. I hope that's okay. It's a, it was a R on a R eleven hundred GS, and um, I was down in Mexico, and so we were in Chiapas, which is pretty far down there, and um, riding along. And my friend, he, it was on his bike. My buddy had the R eleven hundred GS, and the um, all of a sudden. Right in the middle of passing a truck on a two-lane road, the engine stops working. So, you know, he luckily was able to stop and get behind and pull off, and everything was okay. Turned out the ignition switch had failed. Really, you know, it does happen. It's kind of a rare thing, but it just physically the ignition switch had failed. So ended up, like, figured that out and just twisted some wires together, and we got back on the road. And then, and then um, I said, what we need to do here is we'll put a toggle switch in, and then... If you that way, you just use a switch. So we went to a hard, uh, parts auto parts store, bought a toggle switch, and like we hey, let's we'll do this tonight. You know, have a couple beers and we'll put this on. He's like, no, I want to do it right now. So like, okay, you know, it's your bike, whatever. So he did kind of a uh, somewhat less than perfect job, and <laughs> so um, but he was pretty proud of himself. And then we stopped at a PMEX station to get to fill up, and yeah. just as we pulled out down of, of the road um, a couple miles, all of a sudden he's in this big plume of smoke. And his whole wiring, I think it shorted out, and oh, his God. whole wiring harness had fried. So we, I, we, we were able, so I got some straps out, 
towed him back to the PMX station. We got underneath the awning and we, were, we got at least out of the sun. It was hot as hell. And then I looked at the situation and, and literally it was from the, from the front to the rear of the bike, the wiring harness was just destroyed. So we jumped down to a parts store some kilometers away and bought a spool of wire and a soldering iron and some tape and stuff and proceeded to take the bike kind of apart. And like, you could kind of see it one in, Oh, this looks like this was, this is a red wire. So solder yeah. a wire on there <laughs> and, and define the red wire at the other end. And it took mostly the whole day and then wrapped it all up and shoved it in and put the subframe back down on to the bike and put it all together again. And lo and behold, it started up and we continued our trip. Good grief. What if, what if fiasco and, yeah. and and here's the moral to the story. I think you alluded to it. There is, when in doubt, relax, have a few beers, and think on it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's always been my take. Okay, last question, uh, William, and let me tell you, this is a doozy. All right. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. What oil do you use? I use Liquid Molly, and on the Airheads, I like the. Um, 15W50, and the reason is I like that oil. I have a, I have a really good um, uh, feeling for the quality of Liquid Molly. I've been to the facility um, and as well as the main office for training, and I've also been to the factory where they make the oil. And so I've, you know, it's I've been there, seen it. I know the guys that design it. And the, I, I, I use the 15W50 because it's just a little bit thinner than the 2050, so it just gives it a, gives you a little bit less viscosity, kind of helps the motor start, but then you still have the 50-weight um, oil when you reach operating temperature. That's, that, that's, that's my go-to. The really hot climate, you can still run the 2050, but in any case, Liquid Molly is the one I, I prefer. There it is. And, of course, available at boxer2valve.com. That's correct. Exactly. Exactly. Well, look, William, I really appreciate you taking some time uh, to visit today. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. I was looking forward to this uh, all week, uh, and I just want to wish you continued success uh, with your business and everything your family does. You've just been doing a great job, so keep up the good work. Thank you. It's been a really large pleasure for me, Darren, to talk to you today, and I will hope to meet you someday. And you take care of yourself and to everybody out there keep the shiny side up and the rubber side down as always thanks to william for joining us this week on the program be sure to check out links to his website plan works all things plan bmw in the about section of this podcast The Airheads 247 podcast is distributed and produced by From Off Productions. Our theme music is from Jimbo Mathis. You can find him on the web at therealjimbomathis.com. Our producer engineer is Jeff Glover. I'm Darren Dorton. Look forward to catching up with you next time.